Well, good morning. He is risen. Amen. Isn't it great to be in the house of the Lord to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? I am Steve, one of the pastors on staff here, and we are so pleased that you are here with us today, week two of our four-week series on, based on the book and now the movie, The Case for Christ, written by Lee Strobel. And you might wonder, especially if this is your first time here, who Lee Strobel is and why we're studying and looking at uh, this book and this movie along with the scriptures that we have before us today. And it's because of this. Lee was a trained journalist. In fact, he received his degree in journalism from the University of Missouri. And then he received his law degree from Yale University. After that, he went and had a distinguished and award-winning career at the Chicago Tribune as both an investigative reporter and a legal editor. And so he came with a lot of credentials on investigating stories and following up and doing the things necessary to get to the truth. And this became incredibly important to him because he was an avowed atheist, did not believe in God, certainly did not believe in Christ or Christianity and the resurrection, of course, would have been a story that had been made up. But one day he was kind of shaken to the core when his wife met him at the door and said, I have received Christ as my savior, I am now a Christian. So he set about to disprove Christianity. For we know, as we heard last week from C.S. Lewis, or if you saw the movie, you saw it in the movie, that C.S. Lewis says, if Christianity is not true, it's of absolutely zero importance. And that was what Strobel was trying to prove. But if it's true, there is nothing, nothing more important. So he set out, and he set out trying to discover, is Christianity true? And he knew that if, if he was going to prove it one way or another, he had to hit Christianity at its center, at what he calls the linchpin, and that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. For if Jesus Christ was resurrected, then this story, this life after death, this being God is true, but if he wasn't, then it's not true. End of story. And he knew that. He knew if he could disprove the resurrection that all this Christian stuff was a bunch of baloney. You know who else knew that? The Apostle Paul knew that. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 15, 17, he says this, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. He went on in verse 19 to say this, we are of all people most to be pitied, if that is true. Your faith is futile, and we are of all people most to be pitied. So this is a big deal. Today is a big deal. The resurrection of Christ is a big deal, if it is true. If it's true, it changes everything. But is there any real evidence? Is there any real evidence besides the scriptures, which people look at and some people today just say, well, I, it's a nice book, but what other evidence is there? Is there anything that backs up what we know is truth in the Holy Scriptures? So Strobel went on his journey before internet and he started doing research and he started looking for evidence. He started interviewing experts 
He started to do everything he could do to, to find out what the story is and is it true. He started searching the scriptures to find out what he could find out. It can get complicated. Oh, there's a lot of historical evidence, and we'll talk about historical evidence. But sometimes when you get historical evidence, it gets, it gets a little complex, and, and you start to you know, say, wow, this, this, is, this is some crazy stuff. But this morning, really, it, the good news is it's really simple. It's really simple this morning. I have three questions, and really our, our truth of the story is based on the answers to three questions. And those questions are these. The first question is, was Jesus alive at point A? Was Jesus alive at point A? The second question is this. Was Jesus dead at point B? And then the third question is this. Was Jesus alive again at point C? If the answer to all three of those questions are yes, then he indeed rose from the dead. He indeed is who he says he is, and he backed it up with evidence that he is the son of God. And we can stand this morning and say Christianity is true. If the answer to these three questions are all yes. So let's jump right in. The first point is this. Jesus was alive at point A. The Apostle John clearly believed this in John 1.14. He says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The word Jesus Christ, who he made clear, that's who he meant, became flesh. And he came and was one of us. And those disciples spent three years with him. And, and others that would come along and spend time with him, there was no question in their mind this was a real man. This was a real man who went about healing the sick, making the lame walk, making the blind see, deaf could hear. This was a real man they saw walking across the water. A real man who took a McDonald's Happy Meal and fed 5,000 people. <laughs> a real man. This was a real man who just a few days before his crucifixion, took a towel and water and basin and washed their feet. He was real. And he was real to the disciples. And in fact, really when you look at it, and we dealt with this a couple weeks ago, the preponderance of evidence, in fact, virtually every scholar, secular or Christian, will tell you that indeed Jesus did walk the planet Earth. There's not a whole lot of, of argument about that. He walked the planet of the earth and he lived in the first century. But people always want to say, the naysayers always want to say, nah, that's not true. It, it's, it's a myth, it's made up. And, and in fact, uh, the uh, Da Vinci Code was one of those sources that came out a few years ago that popularized this myth that the Christians stole the story of Jesus from ancient myths. We, it's all made up. There's nothing, in fact, I think the point was there's nothing original in Christianity. But the authors of the Da Vinci Code were just stealing from 19th century skeptics who had, who had created this theory and had spread it. But you can still see it on the internet today. 
that you go on the internet and you start researching, you can find stories of how Christianity was made up and, and stolen from, from ancient myths. There's, a, there's one out there about a, a mythological god named Mithras. And there's certain aspects about Mithras' life, in fact, most of them, that are exactly like Jesus. There are these. He was born in a virgin. He was born of a virgin. He was born in a cave. He was born on December 25th. He was considered a great traveling teacher. He had 12 disciples. He sacrificed himself for world peace. He was buried in a tomb, and he rose three days later. You go out and you find the story of this ancient God, this myth that they say, ha, your story of Jesus sounds a lot like Mithras. Unfortunately for them is when you really do the research, you find out a few things. And this is out there as fact. But when you do it, you find that Mithras was not born of a virgin. In fact, he wasn't even born. He emerged out of a rock, fully grown. He was not considered a great traveling teacher. He was considered to be a god. He never sacrificed or was sacrificed for anyone or anything. In fact, the only thing he was known for was killing a bull. Because he was God, he didn't die in their, in their minds. He never died. So if there's no death, there's no resurrection. The whole thing is made up. You know what we call that today? Fake news. <laughs> it's, it's, it's fake news. It's not real. In fact, Swedish scholar T.D.N. Mettinger says this, the nearly universal consensus of scholars around the world is that there are no examples of any mythological gods dying and rising from the dead that came before Jesus. These resurrection myths came after Christianity. So Christianity could not have done the borrowing. Look beyond the fake news and find out what really is the case. What's the real news? Christianity came first. Even agnostic New Testament scholar Bart Ehrman, and if you know Bart, he's no, no friend of Christianity. He says this, the claim that Jesus was simply made up falters on every ground. Finally, historian Paul Maris is even more blunt. He says this, the total evidence is so overpowering, so absolute, that only the shallowest of intellects would dare to deny Jesus' existence. So if you don't want to be included in those of shallow intellect this morning, we would say the historians that say, the, 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 the secular historians, the Christian historians that say Jesus existed and he existed in the first century. So there's really no question about our first question. Jesus was alive at point A. So now our second point, Jesus was dead at point B. Jesus was dead at point B. What does the Bible have to say this? Well, of course, all the gospels refer to this and talk about it, but out of Mark is this story. Mark chapter 15 says it this way. It was the preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. 
So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of the rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. The fact is, you can't have a resurrection without a death. And so it's important to know that Jesus did indeed die. He was dead at point B. The Bible tells us and history tells us that he was crucified under the rule of Pontius Pilate. And so we come here and we say, okay, is this true? But I hear it's not true. In fact, I hear 1.6 billion Muslims don't believe that he died. And that's true. They quote Surah 4, 157 and 158. It says that he appeared to die. They thought he died, but he didn't die. And those who believe in that follow false teaching or idle talk, it actually says. Then it says that Allah raised Christ to heaven for his glory. And so 1.6 billion Muslims don't believe in in the death of Jesus Christ. They said he was not crucified. He appeared he was crucified, but he was not. A lot of people have said something like that. Oh, he was faking it, or he wasn't completely dead. And so what does history tell us? What what are the facts? Who's right? Who's right? What's been said, that, and when you're studying antiquity, that you have one or two really solid sources, that's really good. If you have one or two sources that point to the same thing that are consistent, that they, they verify a fact, How many sources do we have for the the execution of Jesus? Well, scholars have found at least five ancient sources besides what we just read in the scriptures, besides what you would also read in Mark, besides what you would read in Luke and John, besides what you would read talked about in Acts and then the stories of Christ's resurrection from Paul and Peter. There are at least five. And we have these five here on the screen. They're, They're... First of all, the first one is a Roman Jewish historian, Josephus. Very, very careful in what he wrote down. Very concerned that his record of history would be accurate. Josephus would write, and he'd write about Christ. And he'd write, he wrote about those who, who reported the execution, the crucifixion of Jesus. There was also another Roman senator and historian, Tacitus. The same thing, very concerned that he would be accurately received and, Lord, that his word was good. And he wrote about this death of Jesus Christ. A Greek writer who, who wrote satire and rhetoric, but in there referred to the, resurrection, or the, to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ was Lucian. Another source, an ancient source back at that time that wrote about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. From Syria, Came a philosopher, his name was Mara Bar Serapion, wrote a letter that we have. And in there he refers to this Jesus Christ who was crucified by the Romans. And then, as we mentioned a few weeks ago, the Jewish Talmud, it's the um, civil law of, of the Jewish faith that really they have no reason to want to mention Christ, but they do mention that he was crucified. 
So we have these sources that say he was crucified. And then also, if you were going to, boy, if, if, if you, some people say they're making this up, you know, it's just something made up by the disciples. But boy, if you were going to make up something in that day, you wouldn't make up the most gruesome, disgusting, um, unholy death as a crucifixion. Some would say the Muslims are right. Well, you know what? You know how that came about? Muhammad was in a cave 600 years after the crucifixion. 600 years after Christ, Muhammad was in a cave who said an angel came to him and said that the crucifixion or the crucifixion did not happen, that Christ did not die. Didn't give any reasons. Didn't say anything about all the eyewitnesses. He just said it didn't happen. And he came out and told his people that. 600 years later, these other, resources, other sources that I talked about are all within years of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Boy, we could talk about this death of crucifixion, how difficult, how, how excruciating it was. But I think I'm going to let this video do the talking. Part of Strobel's journeys took him to California to meet up with a doctor, Alexander Methrel. Uh, now, Dr. Methrel uh, was an expert in, in this study. This guy has his... Uh, degree is physician. He's a physician, but he also has a doctorate in engineering, and uh, so he's a smart, intelligent guy. This clip out of the movie you see where Strobel travels to California, meets up with Methrol, and what he really wants to know was Jesus dead? Was Jesus dead on the cross? Let's watch. So forgive me for making you travel all the way out here, but when someone rings me up and says he wants to dispute the most significant event in human history. I feel it's important that we do it face to face, don't you? Yeah, that's fine. I, uh, I, I appreciate your time. You're right. Uh, so we're uh, just doing some research on the effect of stress on the hormone levels in mice, which is an ongoing project of ours. But I assure you, you shall have my undivided attention. <clears throat> Okay, I'm, then I'm just going to jump right in. Um, so my line of attack is this. The reason the eyewitnesses were able to see Jesus after Golgotha is because he never died on the cross. Because if he doesn't die, there's no resurrection. Right? That's right. So, so whether or not Jesus himself or, uh, or someone else took him off of the cross early, or if he fakes his own death, it doesn't matter. It completely discounts every aspect of the resurrection. Right, the swoon theory. Yeah, but he passed out. He didn't die. I'm afraid there's a long line of skeptics in front of you with that hypothesis. Including only a billion Muslims the world over who also don't believe that Jesus died on the cross because the Quran says so. With all due respect to Islam, the Quran was written six centuries after Christ. I prefer my historical sources a bit closer to that. I understand, but, but, but you can see that it's possible. Uh, Mr. Strobel, I am a medical doctor and a scientist. I have seen a great many strange phenomena in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. But the swim theory is rubbish. <laughs> rubbish? That's a, is that a, a medical opinion? <laughs> you know, it is, actually. Um, swim theorists tend to skim over the fact that Jesus was flogged prior to his crucifixion. Do you know what happens in a Roman flogging? Um, yeah, the person is lashed with a whip. No, not lashed. Scourged and pummeled savagely. You see, the, the cowhide whip 
is braided with metal balls and bone fragments. The flesh on Jesus' back would have been shredded. The very muscles and sinews themselves laid open to exposure. The flogging itself would have left Jesus in critical condition for massive blood loss, which is why he collapsed under the weight of the cross that the Romans made him carry through town. Okay, so is it possible that Jesus survives being spiked to the cross? Oh, yes, you could survive it, but it's child's play compared to what comes next in a crucifixion. Slow, agonizing death by asphyxiation. Mr. Strobel, the crucifixion of Jesus is one of the best attested events in the ancient world. There is no historical evidence of anyone anywhere ever surviving a full Roman crucifixion. Oh. And, if you will, the final nail in the coffin, <laughs> this from the theory, is this. When the soldiers thrust their spear between Jesus' ribs, do you know what came out? Blood and water. Which we now know is a description of pericardial effusion as a result of death by asphyxiation. And this is not a condition anyone could fake. And so to answer your question, yes, it is my medical opinion that Jesus Christ died on that cross. But, but, but I, gotta, I have a real problem with most of the experts that I've talked to here. Which is? Uh, which is that most of them are not impartial. And if I'm going to take a guess, I would say that you are not either. And you would be correct, sir. Though I have learned that most impartial travelers who undertake this journey rarely remain so. However, I can refer you to one of the most impartial sources that I know. Would you trust the Journal of the American Medical Association? Of course, it is a stellar scientific journal, even I will admit that. On the physical death of Jesus. <clears throat> Clearly the weight of the medical and historical evidence indicates that Jesus was dead before the wound to his side was inflicted. Accordingly, interpretations based on the assumption that Jesus did not die on the cross appear to be at odds with modern medical knowledge. Doc, I gotta tell you, you're, uh, you're not telling me what I hope to hear today. Did you hear what Strobel read there? Clearly, the weight of the historical and medical evidence indicates that Jesus was dead before the wound to his side was inflicted. Accordingly, interpretations based on the assumption that Jesus did not die on the cross appear to be at odds with modern medical knowledge. It's just not the AMA and Christian scholars who believe this, but um, agnostic New Testament scholar agnostic New Testament scholar, seems like an oxymoron, said, I think we need have no doubt that given Jesus' execution by Roman crucifixion, he was truly dead, James Tabor. Even the atheist New Testament scholar, Jared Ludman, said this, Jesus' death as a consequence of crucifixion is indisputable. Indisputable. So, we have powerful and convincing evidence that Jesus was alive at point A. 
and that Jesus was dead at point B. So the real question, and the question of Easter, the question of this day is, was he alive again at point C? And I'm here to tell you, the evidence says, yes, Jesus was alive at point C. Let's look at the scripture again. Matthew 28 says this in verse five. The angel said to the woman, do not be afraid for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, yet afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshiped him. We see the story in the scriptures. Does it make sense? What, what is it that could convince us that this really happened, that Jesus really rose from the dead? And there's a few things to consider, and one is the, what we call the Jerusalem factor, the fact that all of this happened locally. You know, it wasn't like this happened, uh, you're living in Cleveland, and all this took place in Washington, D.C. or Boston, and you're hearing about it. This was news right around them. In fact, if you read in the scriptures, it tells you that because of the, the shortness of the time that they had to get Jesus buried or in the tomb because of the coming Sabbath, they had to hurry up and there happened to be an empty tomb right in the garden, right next door. Not hidden down around two counties and behind Robin Hood's barn and all that kind of stuff. You know, this was out in the open. Everybody knew it. It says, the scripture said the ladies followed them there, the scripture we read earlier. Everybody knew where it was. It was no secret. And so it could be easily proved if it wasn't empty. If the, if the, if the tomb was empty, if Jesus was still there, it was easy to go and say, no, 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 it was this one right here. Let's roll it back and let's look at the body. Easy to do by people who would have give, had every, every reason to do it to prove that he was still there. Right next door, in the garden. But it's empty. So the Jerusalem factor is one reason. The second factor is what we call the criterion of embarrassment. And you said, you might say, what's that? Well, don't, 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 Take, take, what do you say? I don't want to say the word kill, but I'll say don't kill the messenger. <laughs> uh, it was women who heard first and saw first. Yeah, yeah. In that day, women were not considered to be a resource that would be believed. In fact, Josephus, the, the uh, historian, wrote this, let not the testimony of a woman be allowed. If you were going to make up a story you wouldn't make it up with the people who saw Jesus first, the people who went to the tomb, the people who spoke with him, were people who couldn't be believed or couldn't even give a testimony in court. Why would they include women? It's because that's the way it happened. It's the facts. And so if it was embarrassing, we would rather be truthful than be prideful. So there's an embarrassment factor that it was the women that Jesus came to but there's also the factor of the enemy, enemy attestation. That's, that's what are the enemy, what's the enemy saying? 
The enemy never said you got the wrong tomb or, or that he's still in there because they, they could see the enemy said, oh, he must have been stolen or the disciples took him. They are admitting the tomb was empty. <laughs> the enemy argument admits that the tomb was empty. We have an empty tomb. The enemy say so. The women say so. All the people in Jerusalem say so. The people who knew and were there, they said the tomb is empty. But you know what? Having just an empty tomb means you have a missing body, right? <laughs> you could have an empty tomb and you could be like, uh, where's Jimmy Hoffa? <laughs> or where's Amelia Earhart? We never found out for sure. But the last thing we have is eyewitnesses. The eyewitnesses that saw Jesus afterwards and said, that is him. You start researching and following historians, and they'll tell you, yes, there, were, there are many eyewitnesses, but we know of at least nine eyewitnesses that we consider to be critical that have been recorded for us. Some scriptures, some outside of scripture. The first eyewitness uh, testimony that comes from an ancient source about Jesus' death is a creed that is written in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This creed goes like this in verse 3. This is Paul speaking. He says, For what I received, I passed on to you as first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living. Some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Do you remember what Dr. Methrell said? I prefer my sources a little closer than 600 years. <laughs> well, Jesus died somewhere probably between the year 30 and 33 AD. Paul wrote Corinthians somewhere around 54 to 55 AD. So somewhere between 20 and 25 years later, Paul wrote this creed. But it gets better than that. This is a creed that he's been carrying around. This is a creed that he said, I heard, and I've, I've heard it, and it's been entrusted to me. We know that Paul died, that Paul died. Paul received Christ probably about a year to maybe three years after Christ's death, but likely a year, within a year. Stephen was murdered, and the persecution started, and Paul was converted. The scriptures then tell us that he went to... Uh, to, to out for three years to preparation of ministry. He came back and he went to Jerusalem. And in Galatians 1, 18 and 19, it says there he met with Peter. And he says this, I wanted to see Peter. And if you go back and you look at that, that word, that Greek word for see, it's histere, histere. It's, it's not just see. I want to examine I want to check out Peter. It's kind of like you get a letter from the IRS that says, I want to see your tax return. They don't want to see your tax return. They want to examine your tax return. They want to get into it and see what's behind it. Is it truthful? That's what, that's what Paul wanted. He wanted three years later, he wanted to go and say, is it really true? Is it, is it really likely? And it says in that verse 18 and 19 of Galatians, he saw Peter and he saw James. The same two gentlemen he mentions in the creed. So probably within three to four to five years after Jesus' death, this creed had already been shared. It had already been passed around. Now that's, that's evidence that's close. 
Then there's Paul, the Apostle Paul. Uh, he confirmed the disciples' uh, belief throughout his, throughout his preaching and messages and missionary work. And then there's the sermons you see in Acts. Again, Acts written very, very not long after Jesus' death as the disciples were ministering to churches. In Acts, Peter said this, God raised Jesus to life and all you are witnesses. Both Peter and Paul were inviting anybody who could give counter arguments. Come do it. We're witnesses. He, proved, he, he showed up. He, he appeared to Peter and Paul and 500 and all of us. Can you give any evidence that he didn't? And no one stepped up. Then there was Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Four books written shortly after. And then there were early church leaders, Clement. Clement was ordained by Peter and one of the first popes. And Clement wrote a letter to Corinthians. And he said this, the apostles had completely, complete certainty caused by the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then there's Polycarp. Polycarp was an appointed bishop by, by John, and he wrote to the church of Philippian, at Philippi, for they did not love the present age, the apostles, but him who died for our benefit and was for our sake was raised by God. The evidence is overwhelming. Jesus was alive, point A, Jesus was dead at point B, and Jesus was alive again at point C. And because Jesus was alive again at point C, it brings us to a moment of decision. Do we believe it, or do we continue with the skeptics? And if we believe it, how does that change our lives? Jesus rose from the dead. He opened up heaven to all of us. It's a fact. And today, we celebrate that fact. We celebrate it by saying, yes, Lord, I believe. I accept. And I want to enter into that heaven with you because that's what he did. He came to do away with death, as we sang before, to bring eternal life for his people. Let's stand together. You know, it's a, it's a great opportunity today to respond to the Lord. And today, we're just going to ask you to respond in, in singing. Because Jesus Christ came, he died, and he rose again. Believe it. The Bible tells us, history tells us, and I can tell you what, those who have accepted him, they can tell you. Because once you've lived with Christ, you know the truth. As Jesus said, when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. This morning you're free because of the gift of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He has risen. He has risen indeed. Let's sing this out. Forever He is glorified.
Before you go this morning, if you'd like more information, you're just saying, ah, that would just touch the surface. Yeah, that's all you can do in a half hour. But as Tasha Manson mentioned, this Case for Christ answer booklet, it's uh, just a little parts of his book and really actually going further, answering some questions, 20 of the top questions that maybe you have. Now, we would ask, we only have 500 of these, so maybe one, you know, if you're, if you're really searching, if you're wondering, take them. If, if uh, you know, if you're solid in your faith, maybe leave them for some other people. But uh, we appreciate that. They're out at the guest services and uh, follow up with that. Or if you want to say, you know, I, what you said this morning was really interesting. I'd like to come talk. And Tosh is up here. I'm up here. We, we'd love to sh- spend some time with you and, and visiting and, and uh, just talking about our Lord. And we're just uh, happy to do that anytime we can. The movie's also, it got extended, so it's playing through Thursday. Or our ch- we have sold out for our church uh, Tuesday night and Wednesday night, so thank you for that. But so many opportunities to learn more. We have two more weeks. Two more weeks following up on this series, The Case for Christ. I encourage you to come. Come back and bring a friend with you. Uh, today, we just want to thank you for being here, for being part of this Resurrection Sunday, for rejoicing with us, for worshiping with us. And I pray that you go and have a great, great day together with family, friends. Celebrate our Lord and Savior, a risen Christ. He is risen. He's risen indeed. Amen. You're dismissed.